0: Hello, my name is Dwayne Spearman. Welcome to Directional Bible Ministries for January the 19th. This is a ministry that is called to encourage, disciple, and challenge the people of God. We are currently working our way through the book of Daniel together. Uh, So go ahead and open up your Bibles if you have them to Daniel chapter number 8. Before I get underway though, just a few reminders for you. Remember that all of our studies are in written form on the website, and then they're also in audio form, and this, uh, you can either go here or you can go to SoundCloud, and then they are also in video format, Uh, these come off of uh, YouTube, but um, I am also, uh, just started a channel uh, over on Rumble, Uh, so I encourage you to visit that, like that, Uh, subscribe to it. Um, and I am slowly migrating uh, everything over to Rumble. Just um, not sure what's going to happen uh, in the future uh, with YouTube. Uh, a lot of things up in the air. Uh, that's why I've uh, I've got an account on MeWe. I've also got a uh, Directional Ministries page on MeWe. And of course, I'm still on Facebook for the time being until... You know, uh, as long as we can stay there, we'll see what happens there. Uh, My son helped me with some rebranding. You'll see there, uh, got some rebranding going on the videos. And the reason we got into that rebranding was um, my Axe Commentary came out. And of course, that was the uh, branding that we chose for that. Um, You can get the Book of Acts, A Mid-Acts Perspective on Kindle. If you have Kindle Unlimited, it's free. Uh, or you can purchase it for $9.99. Kindle Unlimited, you never really own it. And then now you can also get the paperback for $15.97. Uh, so um, encourage you to check out all that. And of course, that is the end result of... There's 40 sessions there that we went through together during our time, and I encourage you to check that out. Uh, I wish I could say that it's typo-free. It's probably not. Uh, I've been trying to read through it. I've had some friends also doing the same, so uh, fortunately, even after I've uploaded it, I can continue to upload corrected manuscripts, so if you see something that's a little off, just let me know. I'd appreciate that And any Purchases you do in regards to that will go toward the care of this ministry, and I appreciate you for that. So, so let's go ahead and uh, open our Bibles to Daniel. Uh, we started in Daniel chapter, or we ended up in Daniel chapter eight, verse number nineteen. And of course, here is Daniel's vision of the ram and the goat. And um, uh, last. Uh, thing we talked about, we read this big portion of scripture in regards to the vision. And uh, I made mention uh, that the angel Gabriel is mentioned here in uh, these verses. Only three angels in the Bible are mentioned by name, and they are uh, Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer. And uh, Gabriel seems to be especially chosen to be a messenger angel. He's the one that went to Zacharias in regards to the birth of John. He's the one that went to Mary in regards to the birth of Jesus. He's also the one that came to Daniel. Um, so, And then also Michael. Uh, Michael's a warring angel. We see him here in Daniel. We see him in Jude. And we also see him in the book of the Revelation. Um, and then a Lucifer uh, Lucifer is the other angel that's mentioned, um, and he seems to be associated with music in heaven, and apparently he became, uh, proud and arrogant, and he decided he wanted God's job, and you can read about that in Isaiah, um, and I always kind (laughs) of, I make the comparison there, uh, uh, yeah, I don't even know if I want to go there. Uh, the music can be such a controversial subject in the church today. I've seen so many churches split and divide over music when they should be split and dividing over doctrine and theology. Uh, they'll let a man stand in the pulpit that doesn't know how to rightly divide the word of truth, but yet they'll fight over whether or not they're going to sing Amazing Grace or, you know, some popular chorus. Um, I believe God loves, as long as the music is honoring. Uh, the older I get, the more I understand that a lot of music is doctrinally flawed. Um, even some of the old hymns are doctrinally flawed. So, uh, But I, I believe God loves music, as long as it, it's honoring Him, and it's not bringing pride uh, to uh, the one's who are ministering in that capacity, and that's what happened to the devil. Now, notice in verse number 19, which is where we're going to pick up today, the ram which thou sawest, having the two horns, are the kings of Media and Persia. So, uh, no need, you know, when the Bible, the, I've always said the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. Uh, so, you know, there's no need to speculate here. The two, um, the ram uh, that, Daniel saw in his vision, having the two horns represent the kings of Media and Persia. And of course, um, Media uh, was King Darius, Persia was King Cyrus, and they came together to overthrow the Babylonian Empire. And the rough goat, um, I got some notes here um, before I get further. Uh, Gabriel is projecting these projections uh, all the way down to the time of the end. I guess I I missed verse 19. And he said, Behold, I will make thee know what shall be the last end of the indignation, for at the time appointed the end shall be. So Gabriel here, this messenger angel, is uh, projecting these prophecies all the way down to the time of the end. And if we understand the book of Daniel, A great part of it has to do with the Gentile age, with very little regard for the Jew. And when I say regard, I just mean it's not given a lot of information about the Jew. But it will. It'll take a turn here when we get into chapter number nine. Uh, Daniel's prophecies begin in 600 BC uh, with the birth of Babylon. And according to this verse, it'll go all the way down to the end. Uh, notice he says, for at the time appointed, the end will be. And again, uh, we see that God has already got the date set. Uh, God's not setting up in heaven, twiddling his thumbs, trying to decide when he's going to do what he's going to do. He's already decided that. Uh, He's already decided what he's going to do. I point out, um, you know, those who engage in fasting, Uh, We do not engage in fasting to force our will upon God. We engage in fasting to prepare ourselves for what God has already determined. That is the point of fasting. And I've used the analogy before. It's just like if you're in a little boat and you cast out your anchor to land, uh, you're not pulling the land to the boat. You're pulling the boat to the land. We're not pulling God into our will. We're pulling ourselves into His will is the point of fasting for those who choose to engage in that. Um, and then, of course, verse 20, the ram through saw the two horns, or medium Persia, which we've already talked about. Um, and this is Darius and Cyrus. And notice verse 3 seems to refer to Cyrus as the higher one. When you back up into verse 3, uh, it says, Then I lifted mine eyes and saw, and behold, there stood before the river a ram that had two horns, and the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. Now, uh, many people will say that that's referring to Cyrus, and that Cyrus did become the greater of the two. Um, So, I mean, it is the Persian Empire, Media seems to get amalgamated, if you will, into Persia. So some people will uh, say that this just shows that Cyrus became the more dominant. He became the greater. And then notice in verse number 21, and the rough goat is the king of Greece, and the great horn that is between his eyes is the first king. So the rough goat, so the ram, we see Persia, Headed by Darius and Cyrus, then uh, Greece came and replaced them. So the rough goat is Greece, and the great horn is Greece's first king. Well, we know that Greece's first king was Alexander. Um, you know, back up in verses four through seven in the vision, and I saw the ram pushing westward and northward and southward so that no beast might stand before him. Neither was there any that could deliver out of his hands, but he did according to his will, and he became great. And that's referring to the Persian Empire. And as I was considering this, behold, a he-goat came from the west on the face of the whole earth, and he touched not the ground, and the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. You remember in one of the visions, it compares the Grecian Empire... Um, to a lion, uh, or was it a lion? It was a, uh, a leopard with wings on its back. And that speaks to how quickly, how swiftly, Air Alexander the Great took over the entire known world. So now he's portrayed as a he-goat, and he's coming from the West on the face of the whole earth, which speaks to the dominance of the Grecian Empire, he touched not the ground. This speaks to the swiftness. And the he, the goat had a notable horn between its eyes. And, of course, that horn, um, and he came to the ram. They had the two horns, which I had seen standing before the river and ran unto him with fury and power. And I saw him come close unto the ram, and he was moved with choler against him, and smote him, and brake his two horns. And there was no power in the ram to stand before him. He cast him down to the ground, and he stamped upon him, and there was none that could deliver the ram out of his hand. And of course, we know that the goat waxed very great. He was strong. The great horn was broken, and for it came up four notable ones toward the four winds of heaven. So, This is speaking of Alexander the Great. Uh, And of course, the four horns, as we'll see, is referring to, uh, eventually his horn was broken, and he was replaced by four notable ones. Uh, I got a few notes here. Alexander was the son of Philip II of Macedon. And he became, and uh, Alexander became king in 350, between 359 and 336, his title was actually Alexander the Third of Macedon. Um, interesting, a coin uh, was found um, in Thrace uh, that featured uh, the head of Alexander on one side and ram's horns uh, on the other side of his crown. So. Um, that's interesting to me because historically the horns were the symbol of the Egyptian god Amun, Amun from whom Alexander claimed to have descended from. In essence the, symb- the symbolism implied deity. Uh, now interesting that was not minted during Alexander's lifetime. It was minted after Alexander but it speaks to the fact that many viewed Alexander as possibly being deity uh, and possibly being connected to the Egyptian god, Moon. Uh, so, you know, these horns here are not just specific to Daniel. Um, and then notice, now that, being, now that being broken, that means when Alexander finally died, whereas four stood up for it, four kingdoms shall stand up out of the nation, but not in his power. So once Alexander died, and there's a lot of speculation in regards to how Alexander died at such a young age uh, in his early 30s, some believe that he was poisoned uh, because he was just becoming too powerful. We don't know. I've read uh, that one of his concubines might have been involved in the poisoning, but we don't know. Alexander died very young, and his horn was broken, and four stood up for it. And these four refer to the generals that Alexander had appointed over his kingdom uh, because he had no heir. Normally, when a king dies, it goes to the eldest son. Uh, But at the time of Alexander's death, there was no eldest sons. Um, Now, uh, Interesting, um, um, There, Alexander did have a son. It's just he was not born yet. Um, the four generals were Cassander, who took Macedonia. Uh, I, I pronounce his name Lysimachus, who took Trace, and much of Asia Minor. And then Seleucus, who took Syria, and Ptolemy, who took Egypt. So the kingdom was divided, and of course it says um, that he, they did not, not in his power. In other words, they were not as strong as Alexander. I mean, obviously, the kingdom had divided, been divided into four. Now, interestingly, Cassander, who took Macedonia, would later order the death of Alexander's wife, who was named Roxana and her son, uh, but history says that the boy was not born until after Alexander's death. So obviously, Cassander didn't want any competition there, so he had her killed, he had the boy killed, and had Alexander's mother killed. Of course, all of that was in a, an effort to consolidate his power, and then he would eventually assume the title of antagonist the first. Um, so sometimes you'll see him written as antagonist instead of Cassander. However, none of Alexander's generals possessed, and I read this, none of them possessed his natural intelligence, his natural understanding or military genius. Even so they would find dynasties which, with exceptions, ruled their prospective regions until Rome. Came And, of course, we know that Rome uh, was the next uh, world empire. Now, notice in verse 23, And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up, and his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. And he shall destroy wonderfully and shall prosper in practice and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. And through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand and he shall magnify himself in his heart and by peace shall destroy many. And he shall also stand up against the prince of princesses, but he shall be broken without hand." Um, in the latter time of their kingdom is referring to the rules of these four generals. Um, and notice it says, in the latter time of their kingdoms, a fierce uh, king with a fierce countenance will arise. Now, this was primarily fulfilled, most believe, by Antiochus Epiphanes, um, Antiochus is the ultimate type of the Antichrist. Um, Antiochus was symbolically what the Antichrist will be literally in his actions. Uh, In verses 9 through 12, we see him coming out of Greece. And out of one of them came forth a little horn which waxed exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the pleasant land, which is referring to Jerusalem. And it waxed great even to the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the host of the stars to the ground and stamped upon them. Yet he magnified himself even to the prince of the host, and by him the daily sacrifices were taken away, and the place of the sanctuary was cast down, And a host was given him against the daily sacrifices by reason of the transgression, and it cast down the truth to the ground, and it practiced and it prospered. So uh, Antiochus rose to power around 175 years before Christ. Um, He plundered the temple in Jerusalem, and he desecrated uh, the most holy place by... Uh, offering pig's flesh on the altar. Uh, And this is actually recorded in the book of Maccabees, which is in the Apocryphal books. Um, When I was in Bible college, we actually studied the Apocryphal books. Now, I don't believe the Apocryphal books are inspired. Uh, They're full of contradictions. They're full of uh, fiction Um, They contradict each other, they contradict other scriptures, but they are worthy of study uh, when it comes to history, because they do have some things in there that we would not otherwise know, such as in 1 Maccabees chapters 1 through 6, it talks about Antiochus uh, and when he came and when he plundered uh, the temple in Jerusalem and he actually desecrated um, the altar by sacrificing or offering pig's flesh on it. And Now, bear in mind, all of this happened in what we would call the intertestamental period between um, Malachi and Matthew uh, is when all of this happened. And, um, um, and it's interesting because the, the name Antiochus Epiphanes um, the word "epiphanies" is it means a manifestation. Uh, it's like when you say I had an epiphany, uh, which means I I saw something. The light came on. I I, I you know I saw something manifested itself to me. Um, his name it literally means epiphanies means God manifest, um, and he obviously had a uh, God-like complex for him to do what he did uh, to the Jewish people and to the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, He was actually historically one of the cruelest uh, leaders of Syria, and he was a descendant of Seleucus, uh, one of Alexander's generals. And, of course, what he did led to what we call the Maccabean Revolt. Uh, which, again, is not recorded in the Scripture. It, it occurred during the intertestamental period between Malachi and when uh, John the Baptist was born uh, and the beginning of what we call in our English Bibles the New Testament. And it actually caused a rebellion that is called the Maccabean Revolt. Um, it's called the Maccabean Revolt because it was led by the Maccabees um, and um, the Maccabees um, were a was a, a father and his sons uh, the Maccabeans and um, they are the ones that led the revolt against Antiochus for what he did by desecrating the temple uh, The Jews refused. Uh, to leave their own religion. Uh, and they were incensed by what Antiochus had done. And um, the Jews refused to do this. Let me see. Uh, the Jewish rebellion was led by the Maccabees. It took place when he made an edict that all of the empire should practice the same religion. Of course, the Jews refused to do that. It led to Antiochus coming to Jerusalem. To put down the rebellion, he erected a statue of the Greek god Zeus in the temple, and the Jews were ordered to worship it or to be uh, or to be killed. Um, This, you know, some people will say that the, um, you know, erecting the statue of the Greek god Zeus in the temple was the actual abomination uh, that leads to desolation referred to, uh, in Matthew. And some people say, no, it was the actual offering of the swine's flesh. That was the actual abomination. Well, both of them were abominations, no doubt about that. Um, but that's what Antiochus did. And that led to the Maccabean revolt. And the Jews did refer to all of this as the abomination that causes desolation. Matthew says that there will be another one, yet Futures, You see, the the Antiochus is a a type of uh, a future Antichrist. You know, it's been said that history is cyclical. In other words, history repeats itself. And it does. Uh, In Scripture, we see what's called dual fulfillment. Um, And what that means is a a verse of Scripture could be fulfilled more than once. And when it comes to Antiochus and the Antichrist, we see examples of that. Uh, Antiochus was a type of the Antichrist that will come. Antiochus did things that the Antichrist that will come will do. For example, Antiochus committed the abomination by setting up the statue, by offering swine's flesh, so too um, the Antichrist of the future will do the same when he sets up the abomination that will cause desolation during the tribulation period as well. Um, in Matthew 24:15, it says, "...and when ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation..." spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whosoever readeth let him understand. So the Antichrist is going to do the same thing that Antiochus did. Um, matter of fact in Revelation chapter number 13, and he deceives them that dwell upon the earth by means of the miracles which he had the power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell upon the earth and they that and that they should make an image to the beast, which, excuse me, had the wound by the sword and did live, and he had power to give life to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many who would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. So history is going to repeat itself. What Antiochus did is what the Antichrist is going to do. Uh, And notice it says, and he shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. Now this is... Uh, speaking of the destruction and the carnage that was caused by Antiochus, but it also uh, speaks to um, the destruction and carnage that will be caused by the Antichrist. Now, a lot of people who fail to rightly divide the word of truth will look at Antiochus and say, see, all of this has already been, been fulfilled. This is what we call the preterist view. It's already happened. It's all past tense. But it's not. It's it's dual fulfillment. It happened then. It's going to happen again. Um, in uh, Revelation 6, 1 through 11, it talks about um, how that um, the... Um, and I looked in verse 8, and behold, a pale horse and his name that set upon him was death and hell followed him and power was given unto him over a fourth part of the earth, to do what? To kill with the sword, with hunger, and with death, and with the beast of the earth. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. So he's going to do the exact same thing that Antiochus did in the Old Testament. He's going to reap, he's going to um, um, sow this destruction and carnage upon the nation of Israel Again, yet future, but because notice it says he he shall cause craft to prosper um and I think that's referring to notice he shall cause craft to prosper is referring more specifically to uh the antichrist because if you look at these verses in Daniel uh verses nine through ten, um you see here. And he waxed great even to the host of heaven and cast down some of the host and the stars to the ground. I mean, obviously, we have moved from a physical to a spiritual. We have started talking about a physical one who's the little horn that'll wax exceedingly great toward the south and toward the east and toward the pleasant land. And then all of a sudden, he's in heaven and he's casting down some of the host And the stars to the ground. Um, Again, we can see here that we're seeing not only as Antioch is being talked about, but also uh, the Antichrist is being talked about as well in this text. And notice it says, "And he shall cause craft to prosper." This speaks craft, speaks of deceit, or it speaks of witchcraft. And in First and Second Thessalonians, Paul said. And then shall the wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. This is referring to the yet future Antichrist. Paul isn't looking back at Antiochus here. He's looking forward to an Antichrist who would be a fulfillment or a type of Antiochus. And and even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with power and signs and lying wonders. And that speaks of the craft, the deceit, the witchcraft that he is going to be able to use to deceive the inhabitants of the earth. And it says in verse ten there, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they received not the love of the truth that they might have been saved. And because of this, God will send them a strong delusion that they will believe not a lie, but the lie. And the lie is that they're going to get away with it. The lie is the lie that uh, the devil uh, told Eve in the garden, you will not surely die. God's not going to hold you accountable for your actions. He's not going to do anything to you. And that's the generation that we live in. You know, we in the church, we sit back and we see all of this and we shake our heads in absolute disbelief and say, how long, O Lord, faithful and true, will you not avenge? I mean, look at what's going on around us. Look at our nation right now at just the evil that is top down in our nation. How long, O Lord, uh, until you rectify this, To you... Fix this. We don't know. But in the meantime, we need to be faithful. We need to be faithful and we need to trust that God is going to fix this and He will. So the Antichrist will use craft and he will prosper. And notice he shall stand up against the prince of princesses, but he shall be broken without hand. Now that again cannot be referring to Antiochus. Um Antiochus didn't stand up against the prince of princesses uh, or the prince of princes, um, and he's going to be broken without hand. That is yet future, referring to the book of Revelation in verse number 19. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse. This is referring to the, the battle of Armageddon. Uh, And the beast was taken, and with his false prophet, the beast is the Antichrist, who wrought the miracles before him with this craft and this this deceit and witchcraft with which he deceived them that received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire. And in Revelation 20 and verse 3, And I saw an angel come down from heaven having a key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he took the dragon, that old serpent, the devil, Satan, and he bound him for a thousand years and he cast him into the bottomless pit. So the devil, the Antichrist, and the false prophet are all going to be thrown into the pit. So when it says, he shall stand up against the prince of princes, the Lord is going to come back during the battle of Armageddon, and he is going to break this guy <laughs> without hand. Um, so that's what that is talking about in Daniel uh, chapter number 8. Uh, let me get back there real quick. Daniel 8. And we see the interpretation of the vision. Um, And then, let's see, did I finish that final part there? Yeah, verse 25, and then verse 26. And the vision of the evening and the morning, which was told, is true. Wherefore, shut thou up the vision, for it shall be for many days. In other words, it's going to happen, but probably not in Daniel's lifetime. And I, Daniel, fainted, and I was sick certain days, and afterward I rose up and did the king's business, and I was astonished at the vision, but none understood it. Um, Daniel didn't understand everything that he was writing. I, I think one of the proof texts, or one of the proofs to the inspiration of the Scriptures, one of the greatest, is the fact that these guys wrote things that they could not possibly have understood in totality, and yet they pen them, and we see them coming to pass. I mean, Daniel is living here under Belshazzar, Babylon, and he's foretelling about these kingdoms that will come after him, after his lifetime. Of course, he saw the Medes and the Persians, he served under Cyrus, but he didn't live long enough to see Alexander and the Grecian Empire nor long enough to see the rise of the Roman Empire, nor yet long enough to see the revived Roman Empire and the Antichrist. He just was faithful to pen the things that he saw. He was faithful to that. And and again, I believe that's one of the greatest uh, proofs to the inspiration of the Bible. Prophecy uh, is one of the greatest proofs as to the inspiration of the Bible that I can think of. So... Uh, That's Daniel chapter number eight. Uh, Next time we get together, we will get into uh, chapter number nine. And chapter number nine takes a turn um, because Daniel um, begins to say, well, Lord, you know, you've told me about all these Gentile nations. Um, What about us? What about Israel? What's your future future for us? And Daniel chapter 9 gets into tremendous amounts of detail. It starts out with a prayer of supplication from Daniel for his people, identifying with the sins of the people. And then he receives a messenger, and he's given a word from God. And we'll talk about that next time. Well, God bless you guys. Hope that you have a great day. Remember again, God loves you, wants the best for you, and he's working all things out for your good.